0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the Uncorked Corner podcast, where we cover the full spread of food and beverage industry topics. My name is Bianca, PR and marketing professional by day and food and wine connoisseur by night.
1: And my name is Nick, an accountant with a passion for barbecue, beer, and whiskey. Today, we welcome Ron and Mike from Aeronaut Brewing Company. Ron is the co-founder and chief science officer, and Mike is the brewery's technical director.
0: In today's episode, we learn all about how Aeronaut got to where they are now, Get the inside scoop on some new drinks they are offering and chat about the extremely creative brewery space in Somerville, Massachusetts that makes for a -a one-of-a-kind experience.
1: If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to us. With that said, let's welcome Aeronaut Brewing to the show.
0: Well, hey guys, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we have Mike and Ron from Aeronaut Brewing Company with us. Let's start by having both of you introduce yourselves and give us a bit of information on your backgrounds.
2: All right. Um, So I'm Ron, and uh, I'm a co-founder of Aeronaut Brewing. Uh, So we started the brewery about six, a little over six years ago now. There was probably another year and a half before that leading up to starting so, um, you know, we started off being home brewers. We brewed in our backyard. We had, you know, your standard kit starting out, but then we started getting more and more crazy equipment, um, to brew with like 60 gallon batches, steam boilers in our backyard and giant propane tanks and stuff like that. So that's kind of the background that I have relating to to beer and how we got into brewing. Um I'm I'm an engineer by training. Um so when when we were starting out, I was a grad student at MIT and we were working with um my roommates who were kind of working on brewing beer and on the side and it it started off as a hobby and kind of got out of hand. So um the sort of en- the engineer in me is is what I think is the real driver for a lot of my interest in brewing is the, the process control and the variations and how you can, you can change what you're doing and get a different result and the infinite possibilities with beer um, and the different ways to control the process, so,
3: yeah. Um, howdy, I'm Mike Smith. I'm, I don't know, my, my title changes a lot. I think I'm currently technical brewery director something like that um but i've been at aeronaut for just over about three and a half years i'd say um maybe just over three three and a quarter um, but i've been in craft brewing for over 20 years i actually started uh homebrewing in college in the very early 90s and kind of got into home brewing at a really Fertile time back in the very early for kind of first big bubble of, uh, craft brewing. And, uh, I ended up getting really into the hobby. So I kind of went overboard and I ended up working as a running a homebrew store down in Austin, Texas. And that eventually led, and I kind of had an aptitude for the, you know, I like how science and history and beer all how science and history and, um, you know, microbiology and all that kind of meat in brewing. So it kind of really ticked a bunch of boxes in my mind and I got really in, got really into home brewing. And then when I was running the brew shop, the, uh, I ended up getting my, uh, my foot in the door in a, uh, at a craft, uh, at a brew pub in Austin, Texas, the late great Waterloo Brewing Company. And so the header, the head brewer there hired me as an assistant in 98 or something. And then, uh, from there, I moved back to Massachusetts and worked at Harpoon for ten years, and that's where I really cut my teeth. Started as a, you know, keg filler and kind of worked my up my way up to being one of the lead brewers. Um, I was there for ten years, and then I went to a couple other breweries. I went to Mayflower in Plymouth, then I went and uh, was head brewer at a startup called Back East in Connecticut, and then you know, Life moved me to New York city for a little while. And then I came back to Massachusetts and that's when I got the job at Aeronaut when I've been there ever since.
1: Nice, so with, I mean, you both have backgrounds in brewing pretty extensively in home brewing. What was the driving force? When did Aeronaut, what year did you guys start making beer under that Aeronaut name and putting it out? And what was your first beer that you put out?
2: Sure, uh, so Aeronaut came to be in 2014. And our opening day was June 21st, which was the first day of summer. And we kind of planned it out that way. Um, And we had a handful of beers that were open, that that were on tap that that day, that opening day. I think we had eight beers on tap. So we had kind of brewed a bunch of recipes up to that point. Um, But I will say, if I had to say which is the official first beer, it would be... Well, I guess there's two answers. One is a session with Dr. Nandu, because that was the first recipe we designed. Um, even though if it it wasn't necessarily the, specifically the first exact beer we brewed on the commercial scale, um, it was probably the second or third, but they all came out at the same time. So, so a session with Dr. Nandu was a session IPA. Um, it was designed to be, you know, very aromatic, easy to drink. Um kind of in the style of the big inspirations for us were, were all-day IPA from founders. Um, and we also like this one, uh, uh, Renair from Gano Brewery. It's, it's out of, uh, I think, Barcelona. And it was imported. So sometimes you'd get a good batch. Sometimes it'd be sitting too long because it comes all the way from from Europe. But um, the batches we got, that were really floral. We really liked. So, um, Those were kind of the inspirations for that. Over time, we phased that recipe out and we developed Hop Hop in a way, uh, which kind of supplanted that and it's a really awesome beer. So that's part of the reason we phased out Session with Dr. Nandu, but that ultimately would give rise to a year with Dr. Nandu, which was sort of the stronger, more West Coast IPA version of that beer. Similar kind of profile, but a different, um, different recipe. So I guess the other answer to the question is the first beer that we literally brewed on that system that, that came out was probably our Hefeweizen, which we still brew every summer. We have it on right now. Yeah. So. draft only. Right. We've never done that in cans. We don't have any plans to do it in cans. Um, but that's another, you know, very classic kind of true to style recipe that we do.
3: And that's actually, yeah, recipe R001. There you go. But we can talk about that not putting it in cans because I'm a proponent of that in cans.
2: Yeah. yeah.
3: Well, with this, the recent uh, worldwide pandemic because actually, we can talk about this later if you want, but is um, you know, a lot of beers that were not intentionally put in were not originally planned for us to put in cans ended up being put in cans. Uh, a bunch of them, actually. <laughs> a lot over the last six months. So the the pandemic has caught has shifted, um, drastically shifted, the consumption from off-premise, I mean from on-premise, which is sitting at a bar, to off-premise, which is
1: buying something and bringing it home. So,
3: so never say never. <laughs>
1: I know I'm a big fan of the F-wise and style, so that'd be cool if you guys get that released. I know Bianca's been going around the breweries and everything to pick up samples and uh, that's whenever there's something that's draft only that I want to try, I'm like, tell them to fill up a growl. I don't care. get it to me. I need to try it.
0: So other than the, that brew itself, what other beers do you have in your lineup right now? Do you have any that are special for the summer? Do you have a bunch that are always on your rotating drafts?
3: Uh, we have a lot, um, as R- Ron mentioned before, you know, we, uh, in this, eight, you know, 2020, is kind of weird, like the market has shifted where there are not so many flagships anymore. Um, but we are actually in a posi- kind of cool position where we do actually have two Effective flat two effective flagship beers um, with the year with Dr. Nandu, our West Coast style kind of older school IPA that Ron mentioned, and also the Hop Hop and Away, which is a sort of we call it a New England session IPA or a session ale. Um, but the you know, with the, way, with the way the pandemic has happened again, as I was saying, like it's kind of shifted our production a lot. And um, so a lot of these pretty cool beers. Uh, one of the ones, Sister Alva, I think, is one of the cans that we sent over. Um, you know, was again not another one of these. It's a Belgian pale ale that was kind of a tap room favorite. But you know, because we got shut down, the tap room got shut down. As we were making that beer, we ended up putting it into cans, and it it turned out rather well. And we've done a couple batches since. Um, another thing that uh, the changes, pandemic-y change, changes have done, um, is that the way it's kind of it's kind of stretched out our production schedule a little, uh, and caused us to reformulate some of the scheduled back end, you know, making of the sausage boring stuff, but um, production issues, um, which have freed up tanks, Uh, for longer time. And so over the last couple of months, we've actually um, done a lot more lagers as opposed to ales because we can give them more time. We have more, uh, more time to uh, let the beer age in tanks. So that's one of the things we have a bunch of, we had a bunch of new lagers come out um, and, you know, more fruit beer, fruit, fruit sours and kind of stuff like that.
1: Yeah, the fruit sours definitely seem to be the flavor of the summer. I know a lot of people are putting those out. Um, With your mission, I was, you know, browsing through your website, and I saw that you have three main pieces to your mission. Brew world-class beer, amplify the voice of your community, support arts and culture. Now, obviously, the beer you guys have down. So how do the other two fit into the mission there?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it's sort of just naturally what we've come to do, I guess, Um, so... Um, amplifying the voice of our community, that is a big function of, of who we are and how, how our space has come to um, exist in, in Somerville, at least up till now in Somerville. And now we have a new location, but um, in addition to that. But the Somerville tap room is notably very large. Um, and if you think back to 2014 when we were about to open, it was in this space that was kind of not really well known. It was down the side street up an alleyway in a corner with a kind of small door that didn't really look like it went anywhere. And then you'd go in and you're in this very large brewing space. And um, what we we didn't really anticipate when we first opened that we'd have the size of the audience size that we do, that we'd have the, the number of people showing up on the weekends that we, that we do. And we realized that there was this big, I mean, aside from people wanting to come and have beer and, and hang out and, and uh, all that, we think there was this big pent up demand for gathering space, community space, um, places where clubs could meet, uh, meet up groups. We, did, we do programming events every night of the week, um, or at least we, we did <laughs> up until fairly recently. Um, but there were just so many different community groups, artists, all this, all this kind of stuff that was just, that was coming out of the woodwork, coming out of the, our local community within, within a mile of our space. And they wanted to be, be in the space. And we realized that, you know, we could provide that space, first of all, and, and that the way we were kind of able to do this, like why these places don't really exist, very easily in a place like Somerville, because it's hard to find big, big chunks of real estate and to support them. And so the way we support it is through the sale of beer. And so effectively, the thinking is that by making and selling beer, we are able to amplify the voice of our community, right? We're, we're kind of financing that space and um, allowing people to come hang out, use the space for for things that they bring right so someone has um, there's musicians there's artists there's um, you know bike committee groups people who do really cool things and we don't have to necessarily create that content we don't have to say here's here's what you should be doing customers right I mean anyone who comes into the space they all have their own ideas about what what they could be doing there and what what they want to do with their free time so we're kind of just providing the space to let people thrive in that way. Uh, And that's been kind of integrated into our mission as we've observed that happen in the first year or two. Um, And then arts and culture particularly um, became a big part of that because we have, you know, we would have live music five nights a week or something like that. Um, We'd have big events, uh, art events, projector party, we did one couple times that was like all visual artists, probably had a few dozen visual artists. Um, we had Curious Sound Objects. It was another big art show we did with more sound based art objects that we had on display. And, um, and then, you know, we, we have rotating art exhibits at our space and that's all also become a big feature. Uh, music and art have, have been important features of all of our offsite beer gardens. Um, as well as you know community tables and things like that where we can integrate um, different local organizations into all the events that we do. so that's kind of how we integrate all those things into our mission.
3: I think that the uh, location being in Somerville um, you know, I think that's a, it's an interesting our our brew you know because I'm not one of the founders I came in from outside um, you know, one of the things, you know, Somerville's a, I think it's the most densely, pop, one of the most densely populated uh, cities in the country, let alone Massachusetts. But it's also really a um, very, very diverse community, which uh, is something that, you know, I coming in uh, as an employee uh, really came to appreciate the, you know, just sort of being the, the center, like we're, we're this sort of like funky neighborhood brewery. Um, like a focal point of the neighborhood, which I I really like, you know, particularly before the pandemic, um, and it was really neat. Like with all the, you know, international students from Harvard coming over. We have, you know, all this, as Ron mentioned, all this diverse music programming, um, and I find that you know that is a real reflection of the neighborhood. One of the best things I like, uh, I really like really. Like, uh, makes me happy is that we can actually pack the place with, you know, 200, 300 people. I forget where like 270 is what our capacity is. Um, effectively without a real parking lot, which is really, you know, it's like that. just the, you know, people come to the brewery on bikes and they walk and I think we're a pretty neat little eclectic reflection of a eclectic community that we're, that we happen to be founded in.
0: Absolutely, yeah, that's very cool.
2: And I'd say like we also integrated a lot of that now into the to the brand and the the beers, you know that that leave this that leave the space the wholesale, um, and you know we've done that in a bunch of different ways. We've we've done beer can releases with bands. We've done a few of those. We just did one um, this spring. Uh, that was the uh, uh, Access Road. Was Access Road. We're
3: actually canning it again tomorrow
2: and that yeah and so that bet. was with you know with a band where they had um, their Winnebago was, was their song and they they put that on the can so you had a link to um, to the song from the can so that was like really cool and then we um, we've done that in the past too with, with other bands um, the Lights Out was another one um, and then we've done things like collaborations with uh, Somerville Arts Council when we did the Porch Beer um and we'll do beers that are collaborative with different organizations like mass audubon and you know other groups that that we think are important in our community and that we could we could work with to create cool cool beer uh collaborations on so
3: that's been a very interesting thing with the um recent recent developments in the world actually two two you know and you know these these are not necessarily aeronaut centric things but it's very cool that our industry um kind of kind of reflects the times is uh we did two sort of we took part in uh two uh recent sort of you know amorphous international collaborations um early on in the pandemic we Ah uh, brewed a beer called Altogether, which was spearheaded by the other half in New York City. It was a pale ale uh, indie pale ale that uh, everyone you know they came out with a basic recipe that everyone put their little tweaks on and um, you know with the caveat that uh, pro, you know a certain percentage amount of the proceeds or a fixed fixed amount or whatnot uh, goes to um, organizations that were helping. Um, displaced hospitality workers uh, from those first month or two when things were up in the air and a wide, wide swath of people, including our employees and a lot of our customers are of the ho- our hospitality people. Um, and so you know, it allowed us to make this cool beer, be part of this collaboration and we donated some money to, uh, I think it was called the Camberville Hospitality Fund or whatnot. Uh, And then a more recent one, another one of these big um, international collabs was um, after the George Floyd, uh, sparked by the George Floyd protests, um, a brewery out of San Antonio called Wandering Souls, um, spearheaded, um, it's called Black is Beautiful. And again, it was a, you know, hundreds of breweries around the country did it you know and then supporting you know some proceeds going to support you know black black um organizations that support black rights and i think we did a, I forget exactly who we uh donated to i think it was aclu or something like that and so um you know being so like that that sort of microcosm of somerville Aeronaut in Somerville is kind of like, it's kind of neat to see how in this entire community is kind of a microcosm of what beer can, what microbrewing and craft brewing can actually turn it, it's kind of this really neat little kind of movement going on that has a voice for people.
0: Yeah and that's one of the beers I know that we have here, so we'll get into that later talking about the flavor and all of that. Sure. Um, but speaking of community, so you share space with Carolicious, Taste Encounter, and Somerville Chocolate. What is that like? Do you ever partner with those organizations? Is it What's the dynamic kind of being so close to all those other businesses?
2: Um, it's cool. It's, uh, it's sort of by design. You know, when we came in, we decided that we had a lot of space and we wanted to, to uh, bring in different partners that are involved in food and, and making, making food, making food related products. Um, and there are a few different tenants we've had over the time, but right now, you know, we have, we have pretty, we have a pretty cool space. We have some taste encounter you mentioned, and they're more on the fine dining end of the spectrum. Um, they do all kinds of interesting things with a range of flavors, very, very, um, Seasonal, So their menu is constantly changing, but we've done several different collaborative things with them. Um, we've worked on a malt vinegar with them in the past. Um, they, uh, most recently, um, we're working on a recipe with uh, shisandra berries, which is something they use a lot of in one of their palate cleansers that they give at their, at their um, dinners. So it's a really interesting berry that has, supposedly has all the five flavors in it. Um, so, you know, salty, sweet, sour, bitter, umami. And it's kind of a cool, cool thing. So we worked on doing a little pilot scale recipe with that berry with them. Um, and then they've done things with other tenants. Like they have a chocolate blend that they work on with Somerville Chocolate chocolates that they make for the, for the restaurant and we've done beers with Somerville chocolate. Um, Coco Sutra's one that we, we have worked on, a recipe with, with Eric over there, where he'll specifically roast um, the beans in a, in a certain way. And he'll give us this, um, like the crushed nibs to put in the beer. And that's kind of made to order with us. So that's a really cool collab. Um, and then of course Carolicious, um, they do, all kinds of really cool programming. They have their, you know, their Arepas are really good and and that is our current food service at the at the patio. Um, And we've worked with them on more on the events side actually. Um, We've done some really cool collaborative events um, that really highlight Venezuelan culture. Um, They're Venezuelan and food is Venezuelan. And so they've brought in helped us bring in musicians. And really just a a really cool um, audience when we've done those events. Um, We'll get a lot of people who are from Venezuela, but they're coming, you know, they're, they're living all around the area. So they're probably coming from not just Somerville, but a little further out. And we get, um, I don't know, those are like, those are really cool events. We did that on their grand opening last summer. We would have liked to do it as an annual event, though, there are certain restrictions on live music right now. So we're trying to figure out if
3: they definitely live in the place up too.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh,
3: to uh, elaborate a little on the Somerville chocolates collab that we do Coco Sutro. Um, It's really neat because we actually do, you know, we actually use the, the chocolate nibs, which is like a, you know, raw material that he makes the chocolate from. Um, but we actually use the uh, the cocoa nibs in two different ways in the beer. Uh, we actually put a lot of nibs actually in the mash, which is where you mix the grain um, and extract the sugars out. So it gives like this very deep chocolate flavor. Um, but we also use the nibs um, the way you know, analogous to the way you would use dry hops in a hoppy beer, where we're actually soaking that, you know, adding the nibs, uh, di- different nibs, to the beer um, at the later stages of fermentation. So the nibs are actually soaking in the beer, releasing their flavor. Um, but last year, after that, what we've done with, it was Eric's suggestion, is after we transferred the beer out of the tank, those nibs that were in there um, soaking in the beer, we actually gave back to Eric and then he dried dried them out and ground them up and used them as inclusions in another chocolate bar. So we made like a white chocolate bar with little ground up nibs in it that had been soaking and had been marinating in this beer for a week. So it's kind of like a really neat two-way, multi-way collaboration, which is, you know, a big advantage of having a roast, you know, and it smells really good when he roasts snibs. It smells like brownies being made. So. I'm sure. so that was a nice little two-way collab, multi-way collab.
1: So you guys got into events a little bit right there. And obviously with the pandemic hitting hard, events haven't gone as planned. But I was looking on your calendar and I noticed there's a lot of virtual events you guys have been putting on. I want to talk to us a little bit about some of those virtual events and what people can experience with them.
2: Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, when this all happened, uh, you know, we shut down in March and there was kind of a week where we were not sure what to do next and we were kind of figuring things out and we decided that it was important to stay engaged, uh, through this time with, with our community and that we'd be back at some point and, the show
3: must go
2: on yeah i mean we had like a really good opportunity and it started off with trivia um which you know we've been doing pretty much since the first year we opened um every tuesday night um it's almost never been canceled um, maybe once or twice for one reason or another but it's it's one thing that's very very steady and reliable and it's a kind of programming that has a lot of support and a very loyal audience so it was important to us to keep that going in some fashion. And we thought it really worked well in a virtual setting because you know, you have your, your questions, You have we actually make people uh, present their questions on slides and it's all hosted by local community member volunteers. Um, so we don't actually put the content together, we just provide the platform. Um, so we had to come up with a way to put that together. So it was a bit of a technical challenge because we needed to come up with a answer submission tool, and the right platform we use zoom webinars for it and then to promote it and do all that so we, we got that going and it was crazy we, we had to have like a mission control team in the background with you know two hosts people scoring people doing tech support and um the the, the turnout was immense I mean we had by the second week or third week we were up to something like 900 participants in this trivia which is really cool it was really cool to be a part of and I think people really appreciated having some something to do especially at that time when we were on lockdown um and it was uh it was really well received It, it definitely presented a lot of challenges to like how to run it and when you get to that many teams you know it's a ton of scoring so we had to automate some of that and uh it's crazy but um that was really good. We, we have, that's going on, it's still every Tuesday night at eight um, and it still has a pretty good audience. So that's really cool. Now we have, um, I don't want to say it wrong. I always want to call it Arts and Ales, but let me tell you what it's actually called. Oh, it is v- Arts and Ales, okay. <laughs> Virtual Arts and Ales. So that's, you know, we host that. And um, sometimes it's hosted uh, by Britt, who is our um, community events coordinator but sometimes we have guests, guest artists who are, you know, painting and you kind of follow along and they'll, they'll give in, you know, instruction, they'll talk, talk to uh, people who are participating. Um, so that's another ongoing thing. Um, and then everything else, you know, a lot of it's like offshoots of stuff that we do. Um, we would normally do regularly. So we have our bike talks. Those would used to be monthly events We're we're still doing that. And, um, I believe there's one going on tonight. Um, there's uh skip. The small talk is another one that we used to do at the brewery. And now that's been turned into a, a virtual event series and we continue to do some other things to do um, monthly homebrew workshops. That's a new thing for us. We thought it worked well because everyone's at home. Um, so that's when we have people um, we have brewers, Uh, who are making homebrew scale recipes that are related to beers that we might make here and kind of showing you, well, you can actually follow along and brew along at home, ask questions. And that's been really fun, very interactive. And um, the audience is obviously a lot smaller for that, but it's a very, um, very enthusiastic audience. And they're very happy they get to participate. And you get to ask pretty technical questions um, from our brewers who do this for a living. Um, So... Uh, I know like when you, when you first start homebrewing, it's, there's some of it's really clear, but some of it's, you you don't know the answers to some of the things you're doing or why you're doing certain things. So that's been really cool. And we get to follow along, do bottling and, um, kind of see what the product is at the end with like, there'll be another session where they're, they're following up with bottling and things like that. So I think there's another one of those coming up soon. Um, for a beer that was recently brewed and then we're already talking about planning the next one um, for the fall probably going to be a pumpkin or pumpkin like uh, ale and that'll be that's a fun one to do at home because there's you can do a lot of variations on that so um, yeah it means so. we don't have
3: to make one at the brewery
2: <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe so yeah, there's all kinds of stuff like that that um, that we've been working on. And, and we were kind of originally thinking once we reopened that we we'd start transitioning to in-person events, but for a number of reasons, it's not really possible. Um, and so we're still sticking there sticking with the, with the virtual events for now. but we're, we're starting to think about how we can make that transition and maybe do something where we'll have maybe virtual or streaming events, but maybe they're also being projected at the brewery in person um, eventually when we're allowed to do
1: that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome that you've been able to adapt that way and they look like really interesting events. I'll have to attend one myself. Nothing's better than drinking and uh, doing art, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we saw that back in July, you decided to take a chance on hard seltzer. That's of course a really popular summer beverage now and I think started probably last year. Uh, what inspired this move and, and how has that been for you? I know it's one of your gluten-free options, which is always a great thing to have. Um, a lot of people you know, are gluten intolerant. So that'd be great to hear a little bit about.
2: Yeah. Um, let's see. I mean, I would say gluten I progress. was a big driver of the seltzer myself. Um, I am a big fan of hard seltzer. <laughs> I was drinking a lot of White Claw last summer. Um, I'm not ashamed, but, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of people who like it. I'm, I've been fairly
1: skeptical of a lot of like malt. We lost your audio there,
0: Ron.
1: We lost your audio for a minute. You're back. Oh,
2: do you hear it? Um, I was like fairly skeptical of a lot of these, um, a lot of like beer alternative malt beverage types, your Zimas and your Smirnoff spices. Um, but this, I think it fills a certain market need. One is certainly like a lower calorie option and it's about as low calories it can get. Cause it's, you really, the calories are all in the alcohol. So that's an interesting one, but it, and it, but it's not bad to drink. It's refreshing. Um, and it's gluten free is the other big thing and that there's an increasing demand for that kind of thing so as a brewery we're sort of limited in what we can do for for alternatives we can't do cider unless we get a winery license um, but seltzer can be made as a brewery because you're you're using just sugar or malt related sugars uh, to ferment and that counts as beer or a malt beverage so um, we thought, why not? Why not give it a try? So we we've taken a few stabs at it. We what 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 we what we put out um, I guess like a month ago was the result of a bunch of preliminary work we did in the lab where we were testing out a bunch of different recipes, things like pH adjustments, uh, a whole series of different yeast strains that we thought might be better or worse for this because um, you really want a very clean flavor. So some yeast do better than others in that. Some used to do better than others. You don't have a very like yeast nourishing environment because it's just sh- pretty much sugar water that you're fermenting. So you have to worry about that. Um, and then we finally had something that we thought was was a decent starting point and we decided to scale it to the pilot scale. I think, I still think there's a lot of um, work to be done on that and I'd, I'd like to scale it up. And I have a lot of ideas on how we can uh, how we can do that, but um, you know, for now it's still in the uh, testing phase.
3: Yeah, and about half of it was consumed by people working.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, big hit amongst the uh, amongst the staff. Now, too refreshing. <laughs>
1: Let's get into uh, the new canner you have opening up in Everett. So obviously over there, that fermentation district going to be in crowded territory with a lot of other people there. Uh, what can people expect to experience that canner? Are you guys going to have a t- uh, tap room there? Is it just going to be for the commercial brewing side?
2: Um, it's, for now, it's just for commercial brewing. Um, the the goal originally was to put in another brewery and a tap room. Um, the timing obviously was a little tricky on this one. We, we closed in February. Shutdown was in March. And we, over time, once we kind of had an understanding of what was happening with, with the market and where people were buying their beer, um, we, we kind of figured out a way to try to get this place launched at least for just brewing. And so right now the main goal is to get, to get more cans out there. Um, there is a big demand for cans right now in general, but we've also just seen a demand surge for, for our cans, and we've, we've scaled up cans because we stopped making kegs for the last several months, for the most part. Um, and all those cans have been sold, so we're, we're looking for ways to make more cans. So this is really important for us. Um, particularly... Yeah, so current
3: lab interrupters, So currently... We um, the space that we have in Somerville is we are effectively maxed out. We made, we made about two. We made almost exactly 4,000 barrels of beer there over the last two plus years, because we've quite literally made, There's not enough time. You know, we're every moment that we can be brewing, we are brewing, and we, you know using the all the time we have and all the fermentation space we have. And up until the pandemic started and the lockdown is we basically would do you know, not 50-50, but pretty close. Uh, we were alternating cans. We'd have mobile a can- mobile canner come in um, one week, and then we would do the very draft-heavy packaging the week after. And once the shutdown happened, we went to every week canning and so you know that's but at a certain point we don't you know we want to to we don't have enough space to own our own canning line and that's something that the Everett space is really built around is the is is for canning but
2: so, there is sorry. still you know there is still a tap room there that yeah. you know existed in the previous um, in the previous uh, brewery that was there, there, there was a tap room, and we'd like to reopen that space to the public, but we don't have any immediate plans to do it. We're, we're not opening, in Somerville, we're not open indoors right now. We're only open in the courtyard. We don't have any immediate plans to open indoors. Uh, I don't think, we, you know, we don't feel that it's quite safe right now to do that. Um, our, you know, our employees and our customers generally seem to feel that way. Um, so we don't have any plans to open the indoors in Everett, but we do hope to get a pouring permit there so that we can do that at some point. And we have a hearing on that next week. Um, so if that gets granted, then we have the, at least the option to open when we're able to. And the other thing we could do once we have that is open a patio out there just like in the parking lot and that might be something we try to do uh, before it gets cooled out and that would give us sort of a second outdoor patio space that would be really awesome to have right now
0: yeah so to jump into the beers that we have here um, nick and i are are trying them all and we'll share all about the different flavors and, and times that we have them but we'd love to learn more about the different tasting notes in the in the four beers that we do have. So we kind of chatted about the um, black is beautiful, kind of what it means and all about that. So why don't we start with that one and just kind of get a little insight as to what those primary flavors are.
3: Um, that particular beer um, is, so one of the, the original, like I mentioned earlier that um, that was a collab that we were kind of given these, guidelines and i tweaked it back a little because one of the one of the original ideas that was given to us by the um wandering souls um was like a 10 percent imperial russia kind of imperial stout and you know internally we said you know what it's going to come out in july in cans um i don't know if we 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 didn't necessarily want to do a imperial stout and they in, and they gave us, you know, we had wonderful latitude within the structure of this collab, and so I kind of turned it on. You know, I made the oatmeal stout out of it, and one of the things that is tricky in some of the darker beers is balancing out um, roastiness without making it too acrid, sort of, and so. Um, in that particular beer, by making, like we used, in order to get the dark, roasty, the dark color and the roasty flavors, um, you have to use roasted malts. Uh, but I, I intentionally chose um, a few varieties of the dark malts that are what we call debittered. So, so some of them, uh, in one of the, one of the malts I used is called Midnight Wheat. Uh, which is a roast, it's wheat-based roasted malt. Um, It's roasted just like all sort of stout, the malt that goes into stouts. But um, because it's wheat, wheat um, naturally does not have a husk the same way that barley does. And so a lot of the acrid flavors can come from um, the charred husks of the grain. So by using uh, midnight wheat, um, and I used another type of uh, dehusked barley that was roasted, uh, cuts down on some of those tannic burned characters. Uh, so it kind of gives it a more of a, a smoother roast flavor, uh, and which is also balanced out by the addition of oatmeal, flaked oats that we add to the mash, uh, which give a, gives the beer, kind of like a silky mouthfeel that balances out some of the roasty flavors. And then in addition to that, I added a little bit of um, touch of a what's called maltodextrin, which is a malt-based sugar that is um, not very fermentable. So what it does is it it, it stays, uh, you know, it doesn't, the yeast doesn't ferment it out. So it adds a little residual, sh- residual sweetness, and it helps fill out the mouthfeel in addition to the, the oats.
1: Well, and I, I think I we really already like touched earlier on the hop-hop and away pretty good. So let's get into a couple of these other ones that you sent over. So why don't you take us through the surface wave beer that we have here?
3: Um, so surface wave is actually an example that, of, of one of the loggers that we were talking about before, where. This was a beer that um, internally, it started out, Mark, our uh, proto brewmaster, our brewmaster uh, runs a lot of the proto system. And so he's been playing around um, with some different pale malts. And uh, this Surface Wave, the stock we call, it was, um, you know, internally, it was a draft only beer that we didn't really have a name. We didn't really flush it out marketing wise. Um, we just called it a pale Keller beer, because that's what the prototype was named that got scaled up from. Um, but what a Keller beer is, um, it's not so much a style as it's, it's a, it's a, a variety. Yeah, it's not so much a very distinct style, but what a Keller beer is, is a, effectively like an unfiltered lager beer as if you were in the cellar, Keller is cellar in German, and cellar is the physical area where the beer ferments, we call it the cellar. So you have your brew house and you have the cellar. And um, a cellar beer is like basically what the brewers like will pull off the tanks or whatever before it's quite, you know, it hasn't gone. So it's a, it's a unfiltered sort of, you know, straight kind of from the tanks, sort of more rustic-y type of lager, a little less refined than some of the pilsners or whatnot. Um, and this particular one, we um, Mark chose originally, is a different pale malt than we generally use in most of our beers. Uh, and this particular one uses a um, Bohemian floor malted pale malt. Uh, it's actually from Czechoslovakia. We get it through, from Germany, I believe. Um, and we use the Hollertel middle through hops. So like really, really traditional, um southern southeastern european brewing tech brewing styles uh and then again this was a beer that was originally and meant for uh for kegs for draft only uh but it and it had, was in process lagering and aging uh when the shutdown happened and we switched over to cans and so this one has a really like so then that's where the surface way i don't know if you have a can in front of you it's like the uh artwork is really really cool. It's one of raul's uh Raul Gonzalez III does a, quite a bit of our art some of our most iconic aeronauti art and he did a really great job with that one. It's like a sea monster robot guy uh really cool and that's so the marketing surface wave uh Cados kind of built around built around the art but it's a very balanced uh you know malt driven pale, unfiltered lager is what that one is.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I love the artwork on all the cans, personally. Um, And the the last one we have is the Into the Citra Galaxy, which I love the name of. Anyway. (laughs) But this is a a very vibrant can. Can you tell us a little bit more about this one and then um, where, to close it out, where we can have our listeners find all the different beers for themselves?
3: So the Into the Citra Galaxy is... Uh, a, we call it, it's another session, it's a session ale, that again, that came out of our, um, it came out of the, actually it didn't come out of the proto system, this one came out of, a couple years ago, Uh, we do, every year, we're doing it this year, at end of September, or beginning of September, come out at the end of September, Um, we do a wet hop beer, which is, uh, or a fresh hop beer, which is tradition, most beers, uh, the hops that you get are actually, you know, they're harvested and then they're dried and pelletized and stored and then you use them throughout the year. Um, But wet hop is literally, the hops are usually picked that morning or the night before. So, and we work with a farm um, called Four Star Farms in uh, Northfield, Massachusetts, right on the Vermont, Massachusetts border right on the Connecticut river. It's beautiful. They're putting a brewery in right now too. Um, But I literally like drive out there to pick up the hops and the guys are like making the beer and I'm like coming back with the hops. Uh, They're literally like we're in the field that morning. Um, And so we're somewhat at, in that wet hop beer, we are, um, you know, beholden to nature. And two years ago, we had a specific time set up. We were gonna do a, Wet hot beer with a specific type of hops and all this, and then at the last minute there was they at the farm they had a uh, an issue with the crop. I think it was some sort of uh, insect that had gone into this particular variety. So at the last minute we had to change the beer. And Mark and another one of our brewers, Felipe, had been working on this Session Ale um, Proto system on the Proto system. And so what we did was we used a lot of the grain that we had allocated for this wet hop beer and let them make this session pale ale. So it's actually the style of beer is fairly similar to hop hop in a way um, except we use rather than using wheat and a light base malt we actually use a slightly darker um, German pale ale malt, so it's, it's roasted slightly different, so it gives a little more over malty character, but we still brewed it in the style of a New England IPA. So a lot of the New England IPA, it's like a light, a session version of a New England IPA. So a lot of the New England IPAs have a lot of wheat and oats, and so they're very light in color and light in, um, like the malt character does not come through a lot. And what um, Into the Citra Galaxy does, I like the, par- parent that, the parentheses are mine, by the way. I like that little parentheses. It's like a song, that's why I like that. Because um, we used to just call it Citra Galaxy. Um, so, so what this is, it's a, basically a New England IPA, but lighter session style, and then with a slightly maltier note. And then we used, um, it's called Citra Galaxy, we used Citra, which is a you know darling of the craft beer, uh, American citrusy bright hop. Uh, and then with Galaxy, which is kind of a rock star hop these days, and we have a really good supply of it. And it's an Australian hop that's known for all sorts of crazy fruit flavors. And so what this beer is, it's kind of, it's like a, t- a spin on a New England session ale, um, but with like, nice little tweaks, and that one was one that, again, with the pandemic, it was a tap room favorite that we, uh, that ended up in cans, uh, due to the pandemic, and now it's one of our top sellers, so.
0: Awesome, and where can our listeners find the beer for themselves? I know you are available, obviously, in the tap room, but are there places online that they can purchase?
2: Online, I mean, we have, um, couple options. I mean, we have, we have our online store. Um, so if you just go to our main page, you know, you'd find, um, there's a thing where it says cans available for delivery or pickup. And then there's all things about how to do pickup or delivery orders. And we deliver to a large number of towns, Somerville, Cambridge, Arlington, Medford, um, Malden, Belmont, Brighton, Charlestown, I think is the list. And, um, We're we're also doing pickup at the brewery, of course, and then um, we're available in in package stores throughout um, Massachusetts, as well as in a little bit in Rhode Island. Um, At least for now, that's kind of where you'd find our cans. Um, uh, Yeah, and there's a large number of them. And because of the limited quantity that we have right now, Uh, I can't guarantee what stores it will be available in at any given time. Um, But hopefully with the addition of the Everett space and more beer, we'll be able to have a more steady supply at more locations throughout the state and and throughout New England, ultimately.
1: Awesome. And where can our users find, our listeners find you online on social media and uh, what's your website's name? So it's easy to find you.
2: Sure. So we're at aeronautbrewing.com. Or you could also go to aeronaut.net, which will take you there, or aer dot co. Uh no, never mind, don't do that. <laughs> um aeronaut.net, aeronautbrewing.com. Um, that's where you'd find us. And then um our Twitter Twitter handle and our Instagram handle, I believe are both at aeronautbrewing. Um and Facebook, Aronaut Brewing. Um,
1: So that's how you find us. Great. And we'll link that all in the description so it's easy and people can just go ahead and click through. Uh, We appreciated having you guys on today. Thanks for taking the time to come talk to us. We're excited to get into these beers and try them out. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Cheers. Awesome. Great talking to you. Cheers. Thank you. Be
0: sure to follow us on social at Uncorked Corner and on the blog at uncorkedcorner.com for a taste of more food and beverage content.
1: And if you enjoy the show, don't forget to leave a comment, subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Thanks for listening.